What's happening, runners? Welcome back to another episode of the Trackster Podcast, the podcast where we talk all things running, the highs, the lows, the ugly bits, and everything in between. My name is Lloyd. I'll be your host for today's episode. And today, we're sitting down and talking with professional on-running athlete, Sarah McDonald. On today's show, we sit down with Sarah and run through everything from her journey from figure ice skater to professional runner, her history of injuries and overcoming setback, running back into form this last year and putting demons to bed and what 2024 has in store for her. Now, if you do want to follow along with what we're doing at Trackster and this podcast, please do head over to Instagram and drop us a follow and also check out the website trackster.com. That's where we put all of our longer form content from our YouTube channel. And finally, to support this show, please do leave us a review, which is now available on all platforms. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Sarah McDonald. All right, welcome to the show, Sarah. Happy Friday. How are we doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. I don't normally do podcasts at this time of day. Not that it's like really <laughs> early, but I'm a little bit like, I feel like I just rolled out of bed kind of thing. It's 11 a.m. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. You've probably started your day and uh, have you done training this morning or is it a rest day? What, what's the crack? Yeah, I've just done a um, five mile run and some strides. So nice. I'm a lot more awake than you are this morning. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I've just walked the dog. That's That's as far as my... <laughs> Friday has gone so far but thank you for giving us your time for the show today um for anyone who's not aware of who you are do you want to introduce yourself in your finest words oh um I'm Sarah McDonald I am an 850 100 meter runner for on um just recently made a big comeback after a few years of pretty brutal injury so I'm back (laughs) so yeah that's me yes you are back back in fine form the year has been uh been really kind to you compared to the last few we're going to get into that and talk about your injury and your comeback and all of that process that you've been through but um you mentioned there that you run for on um and you sign with them it wasn't too long ago was it uh first of august was my start date yeah so you're one of their sort of newer british athletes that have signed um we've seen on really rise the ranks in the last few years with their professional teams and etc and it's always quite exciting when we get a brit signed for on well i think so anyway because i mean i remember when you actually signed i was like this is so sick because they're very they're very innovative but we've spoken about on a little bit you know um privately but do you want to give us a bit of an understanding of you know what it's been like for you since signing for the brand and uh yeah you just where your head's at with it yeah, I was really excited to um, to have some interest from on, actually. They're one of the big, like, up-and-coming brands, but they're not just, like, taking on athletes. It's more like they're investing a lot into the sport and, like, making the sport a bit more of an exciting place. Like, they're putting money into the track nights and, like, making it more of, like, an exciting track field rather than just going to, like, a mundane track meet. They're actually, like, pumping money into track and field like I don't know any of the brands that are doing similar things so they are um but yeah it's been really cool to be part of on and like everyone's been so welcoming and like I feel like part of the family rather than just like a, a number on the roster so actually it's been really cool and like it's been a big change I was with New Balance for a long time before that probably seven years so um yeah it's been a bit of a change but it's really cool and like it's good to be part of their like whole journey now moving forward in the sport and you mentioned there you were with New Balance for seven years. So you've been a professional athlete, you know, nearly 10 years all in. How has the professional athlete life, if you like, changed over that time? Or, or hasn't it, you know, how has it changed for you? 
I think the main change has been the the shoes really and like how that's like changed the game for everything and I mean I, I'm not one of the old people that want to rant and rave about it but actually like it's crazy how much it has moved on middle distance but also the marathon and stuff and like that's been crazy to watch from the outside for me because I was kind of injured in that big period I mean the dog just made a funny noise, did you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure if that was the cat. <laughs> um, yeah, I was kind of like outside of it for that period of like shoe craziness. And I remember standing on the start line in Doha looking at people's shoes, like when it was like a really, really new prototype for Nike and being like, what are those? And I remember like looking at Safan Hassan's feet being like, I've never seen anything like this before. So I'm um, actually, that's pr- probably been the biggest change, but brands have come on a lot and like the game's kind of changed in sport and like times have moved on because of like COVID and stuff as to like what kind of allows you to get a contract. And like, I think that baseline has gone up a lot. I'm not sure what you think about that, but that's kind of what it seems like to me. But no, it's been really cool. And I would say to like anybody that wants to live the pro-life is it's almost not what it's all made out to be sometimes. And sometimes it's kind of easier to be on that sideline and like not have the pressure, but no. Does that pressure come from um, like a performance perspective? So you're expected or you you may, you may deem it expected to, to run fast and, and, and win races? Uh, I think it can kind of be both ways. Like I've never really personally felt any performance uh, pressure from the outside or brands but like I did find it really difficult when I was injured like I knew that like they were still supporting me at the time but like you never know when that support's going to kind of curtail like when one year of injury becomes two years of injury it becomes three years of injury like you you know that you're kind of like at risk at that point and within like contracts it's often stated that like you have to have performed a certain number of times um, so I did find that stress quite hard, but I think you almost put pressure on yourself because you're a sponsored athlete. You don't want to stand on the star line and have an absolute stinker um, compared to someone that might not have a contract. So, yeah, it is like, it's not all sunshine and lollipops. <laughs> no, definitely not. And I think that's, I think if we were to describe your career today, that's how I'd probably describe it. Not all sunshine and lollipops <laughs> to this point, but... We, uh, we, I want to get into, uh, before we get into, you know, the crux of your highs, your lower points, and then where you're at now, I want to sort of go back, back, go back a little bit. Um, you know, as per your Wikipedia, it says that you was born in Newcastle. Now, I, I want to know how accurate that is, because I've said people are Geordies before, and they're like, no, I'm actually not technically from Newcastle. But where were you actually born? I was born in Newcastle, Jasmine, to okay. be precise, yeah. Um, so you're a proper Geordie lass. Well, yeah, I actually lived in South Shields, so, so it was kind of outside of Newcastle, but I went to school in Newcastle and was born there. And then you are now based in Birmingham. That's where you went to university as well. What is it about the city of Birmingham that uh, that's that's locked you down? Uh, <laughs> I don't think it necessarily locked me down, but um, I came here to study medicine and it was actually the only university that let me in at the time, so... I, I was kind of stranded <laughs> and then um just as like the sport kind of progressed I just found myself here it was like 
an easy place. The facility's pretty good and like the running's pretty good. So I just um I've just become stuck and can't seem to get myself out. <laughs> um but no, I'm really happy here and like as as I say, like now that the hub system among the UK is set up, like Birmingham's a pretty good training base for a lot of people. So it's worked out okay. And where did where did sports start for you, Sarah? Has it always been athletics or did you try other sports in primary school, little younger or whatever? Um, I actually started as a figure skater. So um wow. I was a competitive ice skater. But um I got injured. It sounds classic of me. And I had to have some surgery on my hips. And after that I kind of realised that the demands of ice skating didn't really fit with post hip surgery. So um I started just to run to get fit after surgery and then found out actually I quite liked it. So I went to the local athletics club and they tried to make me a hept athlete, which didn't go to plan. <laughs> so in terms of figure skating, are you one of those people that every Christmas you go down the ice rink and you're the one whizzing around the outside? Well, I mean, if I actually risked going ice skating, then yes. But as you <laughs> you know me, you probably know that. I probably should never do that because it would probably end up in the hospital. So um. Yeah, but yeah, that fair. would be me. <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Well, if uh, if you ever get the delight of meeting my other half and talking about how great I am at ice skating, you will find <laughs> out that I am the epitome of Bambi on ice. It is. Oh my god, ice skating just terrifies me. It is so scary. <laughs> I don't know how. Ah, oh, just frightening. Real bad <laughs> phobia of it. But um, in terms of uh, you, you know, you kind of summed it up there yourself. You know, really sort of diagnosing yourself as very injury prone obviously you said about you know the ice skating career you know you had to kind of can that due to injuries and then you you have succumbed to quite a few injuries throughout your career you must be very resilient in the mind to keep pulling you picking yourself up and keep you know whether it's trudging yourself to the gym to cross train taking days off and especially with the most recent injury that put you out for some time how just for, for us mere mortals how do you articulate that that mindset uh I often like do wonder to myself like now looking back how I actually kept going from like the period of like 2021 to 2023 because I so many things happened that it almost like because so many little things well some of them not so little but then I kind of like broke them up and like it was kind of just like a problem solving process for me like I just try to solve one problem and then hope that that would do you know what I mean like I just try to break it up into smaller bits to try and make it seem a bit more manageable but actually (laughs) now looking back at it I I have no idea how I did it but um we're here and yeah it does take a certain like mind frame to be able to to keep going when everything seems to be against you but I've had so much like my coach Andy has been so like positive through it all and like always tried to help me just kind of break it up into like more manageable issues and like try and make it so I can just deal with like one day at a time and like how we can get through one day to get to the next day to conquer the next thing. So let's talk about that real purple patch in your career sort of 2016 through to 2019 prior to not only the pandemic, but also the injury that put you out, which we'll talk about shortly. Um, in that time, you make the final of the European Championships and 2017 Indoor Europeans as well. British Indoor Champion, 
Um, also had some some success on the cross country in the relay and obviously uh, Con Games as well, where you made the final. Oh, and not only that, you also went to World Champs as well, where you made the semi final. So that was just a real give Bell some peanut butter to shut her up. Two seconds. Yeah, sure, of course. It's so annoying. You get a Kong with peanut butter in it. That's exactly what I'm giving it frozen as well so it keeps just to demonstrate ah licky pads there we go is that one out of the freezer <laughs> it was yeah so it'll last longer oh yeah let's see yeah proper dog owner get the licky pads out, that was, that was out for a little while <laughs> yeah, literally right we need to finish the podcast before the licky pads done <laughs> yeah, literally so as i was saying obviously that period of your career was you were flying high um during that time, was it a case of you were just bouncing from one success to another and kind of, did you ever feel like you was in a bit of a whirlwind where you only saw the trajectory going one way and it going up? Yeah, like it's actually crazy looking back at it. I was so consistent and like very rarely like missed anything. I can only think of like maybe three times where I had like a very small like hamstring tear or like a bit of a niggle that didn't really you know what I mean? Like I was always able to train. I never had to take like weeks off and like have to cross train like that for ages. Like I, it just always seemed like everything was going smoothly. And I always saw like from the outside, like people would get stress injuries or like something or other that would, they would have to take six weeks out. And I was like, Oh, I feel quite lucky that I've never really had that. And then I think one day came <laughs> and I got them all in one go. But yeah, I just feel like, everything was so positive then and I was just like going leaps and bounds and like actually 2019 I was in crazy good shape I just never got the opportunity to show that I mean I I ran four minutes at London Diamond League but I think that was off a 214 (laughs) sorry (laughs) it's all right nothing ever happens until on a podcast (laughs) and it all happens (laughs) yeah um what was I saying uh, you were saying that uh, 2019, you was in crazy shape. You had four flat at the London Diamond League, and then the doorbell went. Yeah, so <laughs> um, I was like that race. I was in four flat. I ran four flat, but I went through in like 2:14, which I mean, if yeah. you run four flats, you should be going through in 2:08, really. So I, yeah. I knew I was in great shape, and like going into Doha, I was, I, I was in the shape of my life, and I was really disappointed actually that. Not only didn't I make the final, but I didn't give myself a good shot to make the final. And now looking back at it, I found that period of time quite difficult to look back on because of like the Shelby case and everything like that. But I feel a bit hard done by. Um, but yeah, I if I could do anything, I'd probably go back to 2019 and like race a bit more and not be so conservative on the racing front because I feel like sometimes you're in that thing and you want to hold back and you don't want to race that much because of one reason or another, you're trying to be in the best shape possible for the world championships. But actually I wish I'd just gone and raced a few more times and like given myself a shot at like showing what I was really capable of at that point. And you must with that feeling. And if we skip a few years to now or to say like the peak of this summer season, there must be a feeling of, I have got, so it, a bit of like um you kind of want to avenge what you what what you feel like maybe you didn't accomplish then you knew it was in the legs you know running 214 to 800 to run four flat is crazy like 
you probably sat there thinking, bloody hell, I can run 256 or 327 <laughs> or who knows what I can do. Um, yeah, was there a sense this year where you were like, wow, like I can do this and how far can I go? Because I'm years down the line now, I'm stronger, I'm faster, I'm better. Yeah, definitely. I feel like this summer kind of just was a bit... I came into summer not having a clue what was going to happen. Like uh, I did my first 1500 and I could have run 430 or I could have run like 405. I didn't really have a clue what was going to happen. Like my training had been up until that point pretty average. But I think I just hadn't had any like consistent like track work up until this spring. So it was a case of like just seeing how the season went. And like my initial goals were just to try and make it through a 1500 without breaking or snapping or anything bad happening and then I soon changed those goalposts and like I was I finished the summer really really disappointed not breaking for minutes for 1500 but (laughs) which is crazy like looking at it and I remember speaking to Andy and he was like you can't be disappointed that you didn't break four minutes bearing in mind everything else that's happened and like to be honest like races kind of just ran out on me like the end of summer had nothing and I was trying to get into a diamond league to try and like show my shape but like that was just impossible because everyone wanted to be in those same races yeah that's that is so funny isn't it classic classic runners characteristic we all want it we all want our cake at once um (laughs) and and then we run out and we want more but I think that um the fact that you ended the season disappointed with the times that you ran which are fantastic you know you're literally running more or less your best ever um, off the back of an uncertain, you know, what uncertain shape that you were in ahead of that season. It, it bodes well for the future. Do you want to just talk to us a little bit about, you mentioned when we were chatting about that 2019 year that was so great. And then eventually the day came where things did take a turn. Um, for those listening, talk us through that day, talk us through the injuries that you did to come to. And if you can just take us through that journey, I know it's quite a long one, so we'll, we'll, we'll save a big portion for the, for the chat for that, for that section. So everything was great after Doha. I think I came to came back from a vengeance because I was so disappointed that I didn't make the final. And I genuinely thought that like, if things went my way, like I knew I was capable of like a 57 second last lap in a 1500. So like I knew that on my day in like a final, I was capable of like snatching a bronze medal. So I was like really disappointed not to give myself the opportunity. Um, So I kind of went into the winter with a vengeance, but like soon I I had no idea at the time, but like I I had a weird feeling in my, my foot, like it kind of felt like my sock was always folded. So I'd like be like stopping on runs and stuff and, they sent me for a scan and found out that I had a stress response in my big toe at the time, which I, I kind of pretty much ran through. I wouldn't recommend it, but I was able to do my <laughs> do my like main things, but I just do my doubles on the bike, that kind of thing. And um, from there, I kind of got back, did Eurocross with this stress response in my toe. Um, we won in Lisbon and then winter kind of happened so I went to South Africa and training went fine. Um, and then I flew to Boston to race. And I think this was the, the start of the end for me, really, because I, I'm pretty convinced I had COVID. Um, the day of the race, I woke up and had this cough that was like really distinct. And I remember Jeff and Jake Whiteman joking that I had like the Chinese virus. 
because it was like really 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 new then and like it was like unheard of that anyone had it but I I had such a fever my roommate moved out like I was like dripping with sweat I had to like I remember Harry Aiken Saritri basically carried me to the plane home and like they like laid me on the back row of the plane and like they got me home but I wasn't the same for like probably six to eight weeks after and then COVID hit the real and lockdown happened and then I got a stress response in my foot within COVID my big toe again I got back from that and then ran into a canal bridge got concussion pretty badly whoa whoa hang on a sec ran into a bridge <laughs> I I was I was running with someone at the time and I'd looked at my watch whilst we were in the tunnel right by Bourneville station by Cadbury's World and the the tunnel's quite like a narrow tunnel and there was a brick jutting out that I hadn't seen as I looked at my watch and then I lifted my head up and ricocheted off the the brick, knocked myself out, got taken to A&E. So that was a a day. Um, So yeah, after that, I eventually got back from the concussion and I pretty much got back running and things were looking good in the lead up to the Tokyo trials. And then one day everything wasn't good. And it was actually pretty scary how I went from like on my way to the Olympic trial to like not being able to even walk. I remember running that morning and I ran eight miles and all I thought was like, oh, my foot's a bit tight, but uh, like I've got a day off tomorrow so I can rest it and then I'll be fine good to go the following day and I drove home and I put my foot out the car and I was like I can't put my foot down and like next thing I knew I had a what I thought was a grade three stress response in my third metatarsal and spent six weeks at Bisham Abbey and at the intensive rehab unit and I remember coming out of the boot and just started loading my foot again and I felt the same thing they sent me to London for a CT scan and found a fracture line so uh, an injury that would have been solved in six weeks then took me 11 weeks to heal and I think from then I ran outside probably a total of 10 minutes before the Olympic trial where I put myself on the start line in hope to try and (laughs) show some form that I definitely didn't have (laughs) Um, which I think was quite a public display of like my emotion because Mm. I put so much into that and it was pretty heartbreaking for me and it took me a long time to recover actually because in the lead up to that that race I'd poured my entire life into it I'd moved away from home my dog who's here (laughs) had to go to my parents house for a long time and I just remember my entire life revolving around this one race that lasted four and a half minutes in the end and like tore me apart really. Like the only thing that got me through was the idea that I could make it to the Olympic games. And I genuinely did believe that at the time that it was a possibility and clearly you can't do it without running. (laughs) Um, So from then on, I, I then decided to move to New Bounce, Boston in Massachusetts and came home at the start of November with a very severe um, stress injury in my femur. And I think at that point I did realise there was something 
pretty wrong because I was getting injuries when I shouldn't really be getting injuries. Like I wasn't really running enough to dictate the severity of the injuries I was getting. Um, so I saw that some like specialists and then started on a, a course of, um, it's like an injection that you have every day that helps to like build up your bone again because my bone quality had decreased. Um, so then I went back to America and then got two stress responses in both femurs. So then I came back and decided that like it was time to just have a bit of a R and R and just try and like get myself better properly. Got into cycling quite a lot, bought myself a road bike, thought that could be the future, but then <laughs> decided to come back. And to be honest, since then it's been pretty I've, I haven't had a bone injury since then, but I was due to compete on the track in 2022. And the day before I was doing some strides at the track and tore my hamstring, oh, which isn't God. very documented. <laughs> but yeah, that, that happened. And then um, in the winter, this previous winter, so the winter going from 2022 to 2023, I, I did get back to cross country. I did Mansfield and then just a league meet. And then I got some pain in my hip and I was adamant that I had another stress response, refused to get a scan for a long time until Andy really like shouted at me and told me to get a scan and not to be a knob. Um, and they came back with a psoas tendinopathy, but I think at that point I was so bored of like repetitive rehab loading, trying to get myself back. That I was pretty adamant that that was it for me and I was going to retire. And I pretty much couldn't be spoken out of it. I I went skiing and decided that was the life that I wanted to live. Like I just wanted to be a normal person again. And then apparently skiing cures like hip injuries. So then I came back and started to return to run and haven't really looked back since then. Here I am, injury yeah, free. <laughs> just I had to go to Apre for a few few days to <laughs> to work that out. So we have stress response in your t in your big toe maybe twice i can't remember and then maybe three times i can't remember either <laughs> two, two or three and then we had the initial uh femur stress response then you had two further stress sorry no you had a fracture in there as well yeah there was a fracture in there as well and then the two further in the femur off the back of the america stint then the hamstring then the psoas tendinopathy and I think, is that about right? I think so. Yeah. Oh, that's a long <laughs> CV of injuries. You've been through the wars, haven't you? Yeah. No, I've been through every MRI scanner in Britain, probably. <laughs> well, the good news is that that part of the conversation is done now because we're <laughs> going to look at the positives of it. And that this shows that, you know, I don't think you could probably be, be any more injured than you've been in your career. Like that, like you know, within that period, there's, there's nothing else we can fit in there. You know, you, you're basically injured on the rehab bench, injured on the rehab bench, and you've still come through that period and you've you've come through the other side. So it really is a great story. And for any athletes that may be listening, maybe you've got an injury that is really bugging you out right now, and it's really not that serious. It might just be a bit of swelling or a bit of inflammation, and you're like you feel like your world's melting down. Well, here's Sarah who's had. <laughs> what we've just gone through and she's been able to navigate that and get through the other side. And what I want to understand Sarah, is how, how you did that um, and how other athletes can learn from that. Because whilst you're, you know, world-class athlete, 
I think that all levels of athletes, we all go through that sort of moments where we're just doubting ourselves and we're just having a meltdown over sometimes the, the slightest niggle compared to, you know, stress fractures. But that period where, uh, let's sort of talk the back end of that. So since uh, so the, the, the training block before this uh, last track season, how has things changed for you, if at all? Like, how do you now operate in training to ensure that you're looking after your body the best way? You know, do you do, you know, different forms of training? Do you recover differently? What, how do you now operate as an athlete? Um, I always feel like I, I do have a higher level of cross-training than I did before. And that's just something that I now have to do just to be able to manage my workload. Um, but I would say, like... <laughs> She always has to be the queen of the <laughs> the show. <laughs> She's very beautiful. And <laughs> um, I would say that I've like it's really like anyone that's coming back from a period of injury like this, it's really difficult not to have like a high level of injury anxiety, especially like everyone gets dumps or everyone gets a bit tight from time to time. Like you've done a hard track session, and it's hard not to let your mind like escalate. Like for instance. It was only last week that I had like a bit of like quad tightness because I'd done some hard falls on the track. And I was like, oh my God, I've got a stress response. And then two days later, <laughs> lo and behold, my doms have gone and I was absolutely fine again. But it, it is sometimes difficult not to like think the worst. And like, it's hard not to like be like overthink little things, which I found particularly difficult. But it's just about doing all the little things right, I guess. And like I I prioritize gym a lot now. And like I kind of accept that sometimes you feel a bit crap the following day after gym, but like actually that's the right thing to do because gym's probably the one thing that's gonna stop you like <laughs> getting in that hole again and like letting things get bad. So I think like a little bit more cross-training, a bit more emphasis on gym, and just like Overall, I've just learned that I can't run really, really slowly. Like, it's just not good for me. And, like, actually running a bit higher quality within my easy range, rather than going at the lower end of my easy range, if I run a bit in the middle towards the higher bit, that's just a way of me having a better, like, mechanical way of running and, like, actually having good contacts and, like, not slopping around is probably better for me. Mm. Yeah, I had an interview yesterday with another athlete, Kate Axford, and she's the same. She runs lower, lower mileage, but a little bit higher quality. And it was a similar sort of um, conversation where she, biomechanically she just prefers that feeling. So that's really interesting to see. And I think that goes down, sort of goes down to the fact of um, finding your own process, which which works for you as an athlete. And you will have sort of learned that over the past ten plus years of figuring things out. And that brings us nicely on to working with a coach who. I know, you know, you mentioned Andy uh, literally shouted at her to stop being a knob to go and get a scan, <laughs> which is, you know, beautiful, really, because that just shows the strength of your sort of athlete-coach relationship. Talk us through your coaching setup with Andy and how important having not just a coach, but a partner and a supportive team around you is during those tough times and even during the good times too. Yeah, Andy's been incredible. I mean, he... We met back in 2018 when he was the insurance physio for British Athletics and he left in, <laughs> she's a bit grumbly, um, but she left in, he left at the end of like the Tokyo Olympic cycle and went to Man United as a physio. 
and I, I just kind of followed him and like I really rated his therapy and like we were really good friends and like we got on really well and had a similar sense of humor um so I just got treat, treatment by him throughout and like every time I got injured I was always come crawling back to him from America and I don't think I ever came back from America without having booked my flight back to Manchester to go straight to see <laughs> him <laughs> and then we were always in good contact and I think when I developed the stress response in both legs, it took me a while to get over that. And then I came around to him and I was just like, how about you just, you just coach me now, like full time, because he'd always get me back to a point of being able to run like 20 minutes. And then he would hand me back over to whoever. And we'd always end up in the same place. So I was like, I think it's time for me just to get coached by you. And I really rated him and like, we had a really good relationship. And even through like this time, like he's always open to like ideas from me or like if I've done a session that's similar to what he's suggesting, then we'll just be like, well, why don't we do that then? Or if, if something works then it works, doesn't it? So, um, yeah, he coaches me remotely, but I see him once a week and I'll do drills sometimes with him. And like, if he's around, we'll do a session together, but the rest of the time my partner trains with me, um, in Birmingham and I, use the, the talent hub in Birmingham too so I have a really good network around me and like I kind of just do things the way I want to do them and like what works for me rather than trying to fit into a different setup and in this world since since you've kind of come back to full uh form not only has the shoes changed during that period we've basically we've gone through a pandemic where you know the world's mental the whole shoes and tech has changed but really a lot of training training philosophies have come into the media as well in terms of sort of 800 meter 1500 meter running I feel like that's always under a magnifying glass at the moment with the best way to approach things is it has it been difficult for you to kind of be like well before my injuries I was really good at running and like things worked and now there's all this other information going around with double threshold training which is which is not which is not new to us like, it's been around for decades but it's almost like that's the new thing when you train remotely with a coach or you train you know a lot by yourself or whatever do you ever look at other people and sometimes think oh maybe I should be doing a bit of that or because you're so focused on your own sort of history of the sport do you just are you quite a stubborn person you're like no this is what I want to do I, I feel like I'm I'm pretty stubborn but I also like I'm I'm aware of what I'm capable of in terms of like I, I don't think I could ever tolerate double threshold I also have a theory that <laughs> the Ingebrigtsons don't actually do that they've just like made it up to see like how many of the world will follow <laughs> yeah interesting theory yeah um, I, think, I think you might be right and they might be laughing right now because everyone seems to be doing it but um but yeah, I I have just been quite strong and like I know that I can only tolerate two like big sessions a week. So I kind of split those up like Tuesday, Friday or Tuesday, Saturday, just to like keep them separate and know that I can hit those sessions with quite high quality rather than trying to squeeze three sessions in that one of them is going to suffer or like two of them might suffer yeah. as a result of tiredness. So um, that's just the way I've learned that I can tolerate the training that I need. And I can't be squeezing two into one day, <laughs> one day, really. And you mentioned earlier in the chat that you do some doubles on the bike and cross training has been a big, big factor for you now. Is it cycling that you use mainly for cross training or are there any other forms that you've used in the past? Um, so I mainly actually use the elliptical, although when I was 
injured injured I'd use the bike a lot because I've got a walk bike in the garage and I have a road bike but um yeah the elliptical is my main thing I just like kind of like how similar it is to running and it stops me like coming back to running with like odd mechanics because I've been sitting on the bike too much so mm. yeah my elliptical is my go-to <laughs> Have you ever considered getting one of those, uh, the, the ones that you can take out on the road? I don't I've know what they're one. called. Elliptigo. Oh, you've got one. Well, it's not actually mine, it's Andy's, but I do. I Do Do you use it? I don't use it outside because I don't think Birmingham's made for the Elliptigo. <laughs> <laughs> it's too bloody hilly. I have a turbo trainer and I'm not sure anyone could deal with me on the roads in that. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. That's amazing. <laughs> So as a track specialist, Sarah, which I, that's what I would, would, would call you, not not only, you know, I know you do a bit of cross and, and the odd little road race, et cetera, but I would say you are a track specialist. We're now into the winter. I would say that we're into it now. We're into the crux of, you know, getting your head down. What are some of the things that you're looking to work on um, that maybe other track runners can sort of take inspiration from? What are you, what are your main focuses? Is it a case of, oh, I'm just going to, tick consistent training off or you know we want to get stronger in the gym or get fit for indoors what, what is it you're working on um right now it's just kind of getting that strength base back I feel like we had to take a lot of shortcuts coming from the place I was um in December back to track season so it's just kind of getting the fundamentals right for once and actually going into a winter knowing I'm healthy knowing I'm ready to like take on training and do some big sessions so just a lot of like tempo 10k 5k sessions at the moment um get myself nice and strong and then we'll start to focus on indoors i did mansfield last weekend and i don't know if you're at mansfield it it was horrendous (laughs) yeah i i I didn't go but uh i heard (laughs) oh my god (laughs) i am i normally do mansfield because it's like a track runner's paradise it's like no mud in sight, like pretty hard, like you can fly around it. It was, it was awful, like genuinely horrendous. Um, so I think I've retired from cross country for this year after that. Oh, what? <laughs> You're not going to do short course at Liverpool? No, I'm, no, I'm not. Um, the spikes are still in the bag and there's been a squirrel sighting in the garden clearly. Um, <laughs> oh, on high alert. <laughs> yes. Um, so no, no short course at Liverpool for me this year. I am, um, I had a bit of a, a weird start to the season by doing the the World Road Running Champs. So mm. I just think I need to focus on like making sure that I get everything done this winter without having to like <laughs> take any shortcuts because of the short course and like not focus on speed too early. You mentioned there about doing uh, the race out in Riga, the one mile on the road. Obviously, you've got a history of running the Fifth Avenue mile when you was with New Balance. So you've got a you know, good history of running fast mile road races. What was that Riga race like? Um, on TV, it looked a little bit mental. Yeah, it was a bit mental. So I'd come off um, mind of season break because I, I got the call up the day before I was due to fly to Mykonos. So um, it was a bit of a <laughs> a rough one because I'd just taken 10 days off and then come into it. So I always knew I was a bit rusty, but I was like, how bad can a mile be? And it was pretty bad, actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think because people had gone straight from pre to um, to running that, it was like people were actually in pretty good form, but it was mm. a pretty mental race, actually. And there was a pretty big hill in it. Um, and the women's side was super strong. Like, it says a lot that Faith actually came third. So 
Yeah. Yeah. Stacked field. So what is what are your goals for the next uh, 12 months? Obviously, I know we've got Paris Olympics. So, you know, obviously that is a name. But can you just talk us through like what, what you'll be working on or what goals you're working towards between now and then? Um, because like I say, I think you're quite a, a, a niche that we have on this podcast where you're track specialist. So what, you know, what will you be working on first? Um, so I'm going to do podium 5k next weekend, just as little marker as to where I'm at. And then I'll just get cracking and like get some more strength work in and then hopefully pop out for indoor season in February. Um, hopefully try and make the world indoor team in Glasgow um, over the 1500 and then focus all eyes on Paris from there because it's a go hard or go home situation really there's so many great girls in the UK that you just have to do everything you can and hopefully get some really good races in soon into the summer season to try and get that qualifying standard that I was so close to ticked off and in terms of the indoor season in February trying to make the world indoor team when do or maybe you don't know this, but from previous experience, when do things change up in training? When do you start? Because it must be hard to go from winter strength training to then throw some quick stuff in there as well, and but then also not neglect the engine side of things as well. Yeah, I kind of do rely a lot more on strength in the the winter, and like I don't put too much like speedy stuff in like I would in the summer. Like you kind of just have to hope that like you're so strong from all the winter stuff that it does work. But I'd say towards like mid-December I'd start doing some stuff on the like more specific stuff on the track and then I'll go somewhere warm in January to like really knuckle down on some of those like sessions and going away somewhere warm in January do you get a lot of support from from your sponsor on in terms of camps etc uh I haven't really like had that discussion with them as of yet um I went to Fontremeau just before uh but that was like self-funded by me just to um I, I always go to Fonda that time of year and I think it's really good at like the start of the season, well, the start of like the training cycle just to go away and focus a bit, like get into good habits and just get the solid work done. Um, but there is the house in Samaritz, which is something I definitely want to utilise next summer. Samaritz is beautiful. Um, but yeah, I haven't really had that discussion regarding South Africa. I know one of their teams are going out to Posh. I'm not sure if I, well, I'm sure I'll be able to jump in with them, but I'm not sure on what other levels. Well, we know the on boys listen to our podcast, so Jordan and Ollie, let's just get Sarah on the flight. Yeah, that's um, <laughs> you know, you know, it's a good investment. There we go. So, can you run us through what a training week looks like for you now, Sarah? I know you're on Strava, so you know if anyone's not following Sarah, go and go and follow her, and you can check out all her training, which is great, by the way. I love seeing special <laughs> athletes on there, but yeah, run us through what a what a training week looks like for you, running wise, strength wise, cross training, etc. Uh, so I'll probably try and hit about two and a half like strength sessions a week, like main sessions. And I'll do like one prehab session as well. Um, I just try and do like an extra half session in my week just to try and get some like really big lifts in and um, where I'm a bit fresher and just to kind of get that stimulus. Um, I do two sessions a week, either Tuesday, Friday or Tuesday, Saturday. It just depends on how my body's feeling and like what life has thrown at me that week. Um and then the rest of the time, I kind of do a mix of like running and cross training. I honestly don't do anything special. And if anyone did follow me on Strava, you'd realize my training is actually pretty bang average. <laughs> <laughs> and you wouldn't be impressed at all. But um, yeah, I just kind of had a bog, bog standard training week, long run on a Sunday, somewhere between nine and 11 miles, really. And um, yeah, that's about it. 
Nothing too. Love I love this. I love the simplicity. <laughs> nothing too exciting. Um, no double threshold for me. I'm a conspiracy theorist that. on that one. <laughs> and um, in terms of uh, the strength training side of things, you mentioned that you try and do like two and a half sessions a week. Do you do you set all that sort of stuff yourself, or do you work with a strength coach, or is that something Andy helps you with, or is that done through the Talent Hub at Birmingham? Uh, so Andy. Um, now does set that himself with the help of um, Fiona McPartland uh, just to get like his input on his side of things. But I was finding it difficult having like a strength coach and Andy because Andy's a very good physio and like obviously he has his input with like what rehab, like prehab stuff he wants. So actually I found it really helpful just to have him and Fionn set it together because then I get like everything in one place and I'm not doing too much because I know how it feels that you get like, a thousand exercises from a physio sometimes and then the mm. SSC coach wants you to do about 150 things too and I was just finding it a bit overwhelming but actually now it's like super helpful to have that all in one place. So we're going to change up the topic slightly Sarah so we've oh, spoken good. about how important uh oh don't panic about <laughs> how important having a you know a coach in your corner is and a good support team I know that you've uh you've got involved in a little bit of coaching yourself through Team Project Run and now New Levels Coaching how has that been stepping from being an athlete, being coached to then working with runners as a coach? Was there, was there any things that you weren't expecting that have cropped up or did it make you feel a certain way? Uh, I think we both know there's been some hiccups along the way, but like, it's been... <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I've really enjoyed that actually. And like actually being able to give back after everything I've been through and all the coaches and like experience that I've got from, all the different setups I've been in it's been really good to like see people grow and like help people get their pbs and stuff so actually I've really enjoyed it and like I found it a good way of like stepping away from my own <laughs> she's really trying to wrestle me right now um step away from my own sport to um to focus on someone else I've really really liked the experience actually do you think that well I know I know this firsthand but you must feel in such a sort of great position when someone comes to you and goes oh, I'm having a meltdown because my foot hurts <laughs> <laughs> well let me tell you I've been there I still find it like athletes are all the same aren't they like no one no one really listens when they've got an injury um but no it's been good to like try and help people and like support people because I do know how it feels and like those times when you're really panicking sometimes you just do need to take a step back and like look at the bigger picture and actually is a night off running and like a donut really gonna help probably yes <laughs> always always, always. Say yes the donut yeah so are you a fan of our sport Sarah so let's say like uh, Friday Saturday night Diamond League will be on TV would you be sitting down like glued to the TV yeah no I would watch the Diamond League and stuff like that um I wouldn't say I'd watch like the obscene like meets in america but i would i would watch the diamond league yeah not as sad as me <laughs> you can't say no <laughs> i don't know okay. what to send you watch it yeah i'm just obsessed with it <laughs> is bell running ma ma manic yeah she is in the kitchen in the kitchen there we go <laughs> full-time athlete part-time dog mum Full-time dog and part-time athlete. <laughs> <laughs> that's the life. That's the life. 
So let's uh, let's create a scenario, Sarah. We do this with all of our guests. Let's imagine that you are named as the new CEO of UK Athletics. Congratulations. And we don't have an unlimited budget, but what would be the first three things that you would change or do? I would, I would fill the teams up for championships and like give uh, people the opportunity to like go and like showcase and stuff on that level and like learn the trade because like you're never going to become the Olympic champion if the Olympic Games is your first major. Like you need to get that experience and like I'm not saying that you can't do that, but the likelihood is that you need to gain some experience. Like me going to the Europeans was huge for me. And like actually being able to like experience like what it's like a a championship and like going through the call room and like uh, all of the stuff that comes with it, like going to a holding camp and having to spend two weeks like with the rest of the team and like prepare yourself as best as you can is quite difficult but then uh, I'm trying to think what else I would do more competition in the UK I mean that doesn't mean that we have to have six diamond leagues but like just provide like athletes the opportunity to to race each other or like to have that opportunity to be able to compete without having to travel and go to all of these places around the world like the BMC is great but like why not have that opportunity for sprinters and like field eventers too like I'm sure they're very envious that we have the like BMC gold standards and like Grand Prix, but why don't we make that more of a a thing? Um, And maybe just showcase the athletes a bit more and let them have a bit of personality because I feel like we don't do enough to like promote the athletes in the UK. Like think of like athletes in other countries and they're everywhere, but here people don't really know us. Yeah, the second and third points. The first point's great. We had we've had that before. Send full teams and give people opportunities. But I like that bit about the development element of an athlete. You going to Europeans was massive. For you being on a holding camp, like things like that. These are things that like fans of the sport just won't necessarily consider when someone is not named on a team sheet. Just being in and around a senior team is going to be huge for an athlete that's like 19, 20 years old has never been to a champ. So that's a really good one. The second one. Um, yeah, like if we go down your power of 10 last year, you've basically like ran all around the world, like most, most of Europe, um, trying to find races, etc. There's always, you know, from my experience of running overseas, the European meets, they're just so good. They're just, I don't know, they've got that, that, little, that little sort of pizzazz on it that people are there to run fast and compete. Whereas we are, we are limited with opportunities over here. But I think that, with brands like on, you know, investing, as we said at the start, the, 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 the chat, investing in track meets like night of 10 KPVs and other events that I know they're looking to get into. Fingers crossed over time, we can get those opportunities. Um, and then the last one, I want to ask you another point on this about giving athletes more of a platform and marketing them more. One thing that this is not turning the conversation around on me, but if I was to answer this question, I would love to give athletes the opportunity to learn how to market themselves because yeah. no, no athletes that are on British athletics funding or become pro or whatever, there's no manual on how to market themselves. There's no one they're working with to say, right, we're going to help you build your social media profile with a social media, you know, manager or whatever. And I just think that if athletes knew how to market themselves a bit more like an influencer, I think there would be far more exposure and opportunity. What do you think? Interesting you say this, but there was a an on athlete summit which unfortunately I couldn't make in Samaritz a few weeks ago, where a lot of like where the entire European roster was invited to like four days in Samaritz. 
you'll probably see some stuff on social media from it but I believe that they did have a workshop on um social media and raising your social media profile which is really actually good to see like a brand's helping someone because sometimes I think brands will just send you like almost a script and be like post this or do this and it like floods the whole of Instagram with the same post but actually like it's not it's not very innovative like it's not allowing the athletes to like think for themselves or like put their personality across it's just a a script for a shoe if you know what I mean or whatever that may be but no it, it would be good to like see like that education come across to like help athletes because I think it's something that sometimes athletes try to just ignore because it's difficult and like they want to focus on their own training but actually if you gave them the opportunity to learn in a simple manner then maybe like small steps would help in that regard. What are your hobbies off the track Sarah (laughs) at home or in your personal life what do you like to get up to? passions it feels like you're at school and it's like the teachers asked you like uh... tell us an interesting fact about yourself oh god i don't know um i spend a lot of time with bell as you can see um and i drink a lot of tea and coffee (laughs) okay i'll ask i'll ask i'll ask the question slightly different when one day when running is not your daily what, what what will you look to do? What will you want to do? Oh, I've actually got a place to study dentistry as soon as I finished running. Um, when I was injured, I knew that I had to think about what I was going to do as my next steps in my career. So I applied for UCAS, which was a fun experience again. Never thought I'd have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and got a place at Birmingham to do dentistry. So that's going to be my next step. But I'm pretty sure, like, when I'm finished running, I'll I'll go to cycling um, as a sport. Like, I learned to love it, actually, when I was injured. So I think I'll be a cycling dentist. Cycling dentist. There's your Instagram <laughs> bio. Love that. It'll That's say tragic. Olympian cycling be- dentist. That's what it's going to say. Love that. So to finish off, Sarah, this has been a great chat. I just want to hit you with a quick fire round. Now, I don't think I sent you these because... They're fun when I just throw them on you. So oh, God. first thing that pops into your mind, I just want you to blurt it out, all right? <laughs> so number one. Now let's imagine you have a magic wand and you can do whatever you like. What is one thing you'd change in athletics? Being able to teleport to track meets. Not having to deal with airports like and, <laughs> and waiting. And also like just being able to get home as soon as you finish your warm down from a race like there's nothing worse than that journey yeah, home that the following morning yeah that's it teleportation that's fantastic i love that and i feel like that could be used for a lot more than just getting home from track meets, which <laughs> yeah. is good what's the what's the best thing about being a professional athlete being able to travel the world like for free and like getting to a really cool places like in the last few years i've been to what I did my holding camp in Paris. I went to like Gold Coast, Brisbane. Um, I've been to some pretty dire places too, but I won't name names. Um, but yeah, South Africa, I spent loads of time there. I've been to Australia, like really cool places. What's the worst thing about being a professional athlete? Not knowing who you're going to be sharing a room with when you go to track meets. <laughs> and not knowing what the food's going to be like. There's nothing worse. Yeah. 
See, this is this is great, this conversation, because as you've, as you've said in this chat, you've been a professional athlete for quite a long time now. And when we have guests on that have been pros for like one or two years, their answers are so like <laughs> wholesome and manufactured, where yours is like, yeah, you might get a tosser that you've got to share a room with. <laughs> <laughs> or a weirdo. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the, the food at like races like that. I remember once accidentally getting the fishbone stuck in my tonsil before a race in um i think it was poland and having to pick it out with a tweezer in the bathroom yeah it wasn't fun that's that's an injury you're probably never going to hear again listeners that an runner has succumbed to a, a fishbone in the tonsil <laughs> <laughs> okay amazing what is what's a harsh truth that the running world needs to hear oh god the shoes do make a difference whatever people say they do make a difference yeah, agree to that. And lastly, to finish off, what is one thing that you would have liked to have achieved in your life in 10 years' time? Going to an Olympic Games. Mega. Sarah, it's been amazing. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> us on the Tracks podcast. And best of luck at Podium 5K. We'll look out for that result and I'll look forward to catch up soon. Thanks. Sorry about all the disruptions, the doorbell, bell, everything else. <laughs> all right. That's all part of the fun. It's all part of the fun. No worries at all. I'll catch right. you up soon. Thank you. Bye. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thank you for joining us this week for another episode of the Trackster podcast where we talk all things running, the highs, the lows, the ugly bits and everything in between. Big shout out to our guest Sarah McDonald for her time on the show today. And if you have enjoyed today's episode, please do leave us a review and head over to our Instagram at Trackster to keep up to date with everything that we're up to. I've been Lloyd, your host for the day. I'll catch you down the road for a run and a chat. But in the meantime, have a great week.